You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. To find more resources and learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. Let's get into God's Word. We continue in our Advent series, and we're spending the month of December in the first 18 verses of the first chapter of John. And this is all, this is Jesus 101. This is all about who he is and what he came to do. Uh, let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 1. You can follow along as we're, we're going to uh, start back at verse 1. We, we covered this last week, but uh, to provide some context, we'll read it again and then go through verse 13. Let's listen to God's word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God." who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is God's word. Well, we're spending the season of Advent really reflecting on Christ who has come, uh, Christ who was and always was before there was a was to be. He was there and he came, he put on flesh and came into the world. Last week, we covered verses one through three in those beautiful verses. We were introduced to Jesus as the eternal, powerful God through whom all things are made. All of creation was given structure and order and purpose through Christ. All purposes and desires and affections of God for all of creation are discovered in discovering God in Jesus, the word of God made flesh. And because everything is about Jesus and everything was created in and through Jesus, true life cannot be found apart from Jesus. And that's the main focus of this prologue, the first 18 verses of John chapter one, kind of setting the stage for the rest of his letter. That's the, the, really the focus of this. Jesus is the possessor and giver of life. Life is in him. He is life and he gives life to us. And so there's some questions. How do we get this life? How do we know that we have the life that we were created for? How do we enjoy the life that we are created for? If, if all things are made by Christ and through Christ and for Christ, including us, how do we know that we are living that life that we are created for? These are some of the big questions of life, Right? I think their answers are found right here. And what John does in this passage is bring us through this process of understanding how true life is really found, how true life is really enjoyed, and how we can know that we have it for sure. In order to understand true life, we have to understand the function of three things that are really revealed to us in these passages referenced here. We have to understand the function of light, 
We have to understand the function of belief. And then lastly, we need to understand the function of the will. John gets into these first with the function of light. Let's look at the function of light. What, what function does the light have in the world and in us? In verse four through five, John's describing Jesus as the light. Just, just another way of talking about how the knowledge of God and the revelation of God is brought into the world through Jesus. So Jesus is the light. He is revealed. God and his nature and his character and his purposes for all of creation are revealed through Jesus. And the light has a function. Light has a function. Light can illuminate a room or it could burn down a house. Light shines in the darkness and darkness not, has not overcome it. Verse nine, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Light can be a desired thing that brings warmth from a bonfire and light can be something that destroys and is destructive. It depends on your perspective, right? Depends on your perspective. Some years ago, I was, going, I was in Peppersoft Caves right behind Mount Lemmon. You ever been there? Uh, if you're claustrophobic, don't go. But going to Pepper Sauce Caves and you go in there and you got to crawl through some like what they call rabbit holes and it's pretty, pretty narrow and then it opens up into these beautiful uh, caverns and these huge cathedral ceilings and it's just a spectacular view. Uh, but we're in there, we go pretty deep, we get all the way to the book room. You know, you get to this little room and you sign your name in the book. Uh, I got there, um, regretted every minute of it, but we got lost coming back. We got lost coming back and couldn't find our way out. It is darker than dark. There are places there where there's so, there's light, light cannot reach. You can't even see your, your hand in front of your face. It is pitch black. And my friend had a, um, with him a 10 million candle light flashlight. So candle light is the, uh, the measure of how they measure the strength of a, of, a, of a flashlight. And his was 10 million candles. I think, yeah, and, and, uh, and he turns it on. Lost no more, right? We are lost no more. He turns it on and it just illuminates the whole cave and we could see all the way where we need to go. From that perspective, life is our rescue. Light is our rescue. Light is our savior. Light shows us the way out. But light can also be a very unwelcome thing, thing of a, a fugitive trying to conceal their identity, trying to elude authorities. You know, while a student at the University of Arizona, I uh, lived on the edge of campus. My bedroom window opened up into a parking lot. And one night, in the middle of the night, there was a, a gunfight in that parking lot. Just regular college life, right? <clears throat> and there's a gunfight in that parking lot. It's really scary. And here comes the police helicopter, right? We call it the ghetto bird. And the light shines, right? And that's a 20 million candle strength, just to give you some perspective uh, of how strong my friend's flashlight was shines this light on, and the, and, the, and the people scatter. Depending on your perspective, light is something that brings rescue and salvation, and light is something that causes you to hide. It has two functions. Those who desire to be released from the grip of darkness see light that comes into the world as something very good. They're overjoyed by its presence. But those who desire to indulge in darkness will try to hide from the light. Jesus is the light that comes into the world and darkness, those who indulge in darkness, like the darkness, don't wanna give up the pleasures of darkness, do not like his coming. But those who feel the grip of, 
of, of sin in their life. Dark, darkness is another way to talk about the evil and sin and wickedness in us and in the world. And, Jesus, and John presents this analogy, he presents this illustration to talk about Jesus. He moves from the metaphor now to talk about reality, how Jesus is treated in the world. The purpose of Christ coming into the world has a dual function, to expose the wickedness of the world and to rescue those that are held in its grip. And here's the astonishing thing. Many of those who saw the light come into the world said, no thanks, we prefer the darkness. Of course, they don't say that, right? But they reveal with their true hearts what their desire is. To reject Jesus is, is to reject the true light. It is to reject life itself. It is to make, live in darkness and to be comfortable in darkness. It's just another way of describing spiritual blindness. Being in the dark, not knowing that you are in the dark. Seeing the light and misunderstanding it as a curse. And that is because when you've been in the dark so long, the light comes on and you tend to recoil in pain, right? You know how that happens when you're in the dark at first, you can't see anything, but then you become accustomed to the dark. You become comfortable in the dark. And then when the light is turned on, you say, turn it off, it's too bright. It's the way my kids do when it's time to get up and go to school, right? Shut it off, I hate everything. <laughs> time to go to school. The purpose of God in your life is not simply to, to give you a good life, at least not in the way that we understand it. In part, the light comes on to expose. The light comes on to expose misplaced desires and pride and, and selfishness and insecurities. It, it comes on to show us the idols of our heart that we have become comfortable in indulging in. This description as Jesus as light is not only pleasant, it's also confrontational. To what extent do you let God confront you with his word? To what extent do you allow it to be difficult to hear? Meaning, do you allow it to be uncomfortable to hear? To what extent are you willing to let God shine a light in areas of darkness in your life? Discomfort and pain are not always a sign that something has gone wrong in our lives. Much of the time, it's God's way of getting our attention when our hearts have drifted from him. When that pain comes in our life or suffering or it takes on many different forms and God is wanting to shout in our struggle, he's wanting to shine that light in our heart. And oftentimes it just reveals how far we've drifted, how comfortable we've, we have become in living in the darkness. And much of the time we open our lives and our hearts to God so that he will bring comfort. Many of us will come first to God in our life because we're in a struggle in our life and we want God to, to take that struggle away, to give us peace, to give us a sense of, of, of comfort and joy in the midst of panic and chaos. And this may happen at first where we feel his, his comfort, his warmth, his love, his, his unconditional acceptance but then something happens over time. Jesus starts to mess with those things in the dark places of our heart. And we recoil and say, Jesus, stay in your lane, right? I, I came to you for this trouble, but those other parts are kind of off limits. You're getting too personal now. I'm willing to have you help me with my troubles, but those areas I really care about are off limits to you. It's painful to have the light shine in the darkness. There was this great movie in 1989. 
um, called The Abyss. Yeah. All right. You're with me? It is described as a fictional movie. I like to think of it as a documentary because here's the deal. <clears throat> the area of the planet that we know least, amount, least about are the deepest parts of the ocean. The abyssal zone, they call it, or the abyss, are the areas of the ocean that are so deep that light cannot reach. The pressure is so intense that humans can't go down there in any, in any you know, man or human-made uh, mechanism. We cannot go to these darkest places. Well, Ed Harris could, and he did. And, and he gets down there, and in the abyss, in the darkest places where light cannot reach, is an underground alien city. And they are good, right? And they are compassionate, and they love humanity, and... And, uh, and then they live happily ever after. I actually don't know the ending. I can't remember it. But it was, this is what happened. <clears throat> now, here's my point, other than to be reminded to go watch this movie today, because it's, it's really great. Most of the problems stem from a failure to allow the light to reach to those darkest, darkest parts in our life. Most of the reasons for our struggle in life and our failures and our weaknesses and our pain is a failure to apply the truth of God's word to those deepest parts of our lives. We want to keep them on the surface. Just let that light shine kind of in the peripheral areas of our life. Let's have like a comfortable life and, and then we're all kind of good. Let's have this agreement, God. I will, I'll give you some of my attention and you just let my life go well. And that's our idea of the good life. But his intention is that the light would shine in the deepest parts of our lives where the darkness still grips us, where sin is still uh, festering, where the deepest levels of our insecurities, our fears, our misplaced loves, our desires, our hopes, he wants to get down to the core of who we are. Because the sins that exist deep down will eventually bubble up and create a life. And it's with this illustration of, of light breaking through that John, the writer, introduced the main point is not, not only just of this passage, but the entire Bible. That we would not be like those that when the light comes, we would recoil away in rebellion. But then when the light is revealed, we would believe and receive it. That's the whole point of this gospel narrative is that we would believe in Jesus. Receive this light that has come to give us life. And here's where John turns to this function of belief in our life. The function of the light is to expose, it is to give life to those who are in darkness, it is to expose the reality of sin in our lives. And here he looks at the function of belief. Our passage talks about a man. We know him as John the Baptist. He was born to prepare the way for Jesus, to prepare the way for the ministry of Jesus on earth. And John was called to tell others who Jesus is and that he's coming into the world and he's coming with good news to bring life to those who are held in the grip of darkness. He came to his own, and that is Israel's, it's the Hebrew, the Jewish people. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. And Jesus came to the world, that is all people, and they did not receive him either. Yet to all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. What a beautiful sentence. Have you ever wondered why Jesus was so often misunderstood and rejected on earth? Have you ever thought to yourself, you know, if he came today, I couldn't imagine if I was one of those people that would just like, oh, this guy's talking nonsense. Have you ever wondered why Jesus, the Messiah, the one who, the one who was 
and is and forever will be the, the eternal creator, powerful God comes to earth and he is rejected by everyone. There's a story of a man who is in a dark room and he's in a dark room where there's no light that enters and he's in this room with a man-eating monster and a knight covered in steel with a sharp sword and a shield. The man is disoriented as he fumbles around this dark room, finding the exit, trying to feel around. And he approaches these two different characters in the room and one, he goes and he feels that it's soft and warm and it's comfortable, it brings heat and warmth. And he's drawn to this comfort in the room. And the other he feels around and it's cold and it's metal and it's sharp and it feels like it, it, it brings harm and death. And he's, he rejects this and he, he goes to the, to the monster. And when the lights are turned on, he sees things as they really are. If we live in a world of light, then Jesus would be seen for all that he is, who he truly is, but we don't. We live in a world of darkness. We're often tricked by our sin. We see it as warm and comfortable, something that brings life. But when the truth is turned on, it's something that seeks to devour us and destroy us. This is the way it has always been. John is describing our existence, that we live in a world of darkness and the light is coming and we will discern the light as something that's bothersome to us. People love darkness more than light because they don't wanna let go of their sin. They don't wanna let go of the things that comfort them and give them warmth, the things that are convenient, that satisfy their earthly desires for pleasure. Belief, what is the function of belief? Belief is essentially a flipping on of the light switch. And in the moment that we do that, we see the man-eating uh, monster for what it really is. And we run from the monster and we run to the sharp, the knight with the sword and the shield who is there to protect us. The truth is exposed the minute the light comes on. Belief, true belief. Seeing things as they are. And resting in those realities, receiving that truth, Rejecting the darkness and turning to the light, that is the instrument of our salvation. True belief, true faith is the instrument of our salvation. And here's the good news of, of our passage. If, if this ended with verse 10 and 11, this would be devastating. Imagine this passage, all these things, God, he comes into the world and the true light has come into the darkness and everyone rejected him. Merry Christmas, everyone. But it goes on. We need to understand the, the, the reality in, in, the, in which we live, the darkness in our world, but also the darkness within us that Christ has come to expose and to free us from. Yet to all who did receive him, all who did receive that light and rest and trusted, he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God is a pretty affectionate way of describing how God feels about us. It's a pretty beautiful way. It's a pretty special privilege. What do you think God thinks of you? What do you think his disposition and posture is of you? What, if you were to imagine God's face right now up in heaven, he's looking at you, what look does he have on his face for you? one of disappointment? Is it one of contempt? Is it one of 
joy and satisfaction? Is it one of delight? You know, here's the good news. You know, let me show you how this verse might go if we wrote it according to our own uh, perspective or interpretations. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be tolerated by God. That's how, that's how I think of it. Anybody else with me? Okay. Well, what would you put in there? Yeah, to the, he, this is how he, he just gave you the right to just be like ugh, tolerated. He'll deal with, God is a forgiving God, but he doesn't have to like it. He loves you, but he doesn't have to like you. John's view of how God sees people who walked in sin all their lives and were actually called enemies of God, those who the light has come to and people that said, thanks but no thanks, I don't need you, who believe in the Son of God as Savior is nothing, man, the way he views us is nothing like we've ever seen. Those who receive Jesus are the object of God's fullest affection and love and permanent acceptance. There is no sense in all that our faith in Jesus twists the arm of a reluctant God. He is not reluctant to give you everything. He is not reluctant or hesitant to pour out his full favor, acceptance, mercy, and love to you. So much so, he calls us his children. Our salvation begins with the Father's love. And his love is boundless. It has no limit. It is overflowing. There is not a bit of reluctance and hesitancy. We don't deserve that. And lastly, John will show us how this happens for us in the most beautiful way. We talk about the function of the will, the function of the will. He says, we become children of God who were born not of blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. Here, John gets to in the topic of free will. Okay, yeah, let's go there. All right, let's let's talk about free will. Let's settle it once and for all. Do we have free will? John says yes. But here's the problem. Our our, our wills are corrupt. (laughs) Yes, you have the will to either choose God or not choose God. But because of sin in living in darkness in the world and in our lives, you will never choose God on your own. John settles it here. Every man, the will, the desire, the character and actions of every man, woman, and child who has ever lived is corrupt. Left to our own will, we would choose darkness over Jesus. We've already done that. Left to our own desires, we will choose darkness over Jesus. Left to our character and strength, we will choose darkness over Jesus. Every time. John tells us that our will will always fail us. But the will of God will never fail us. The function of the will of God is to do in us, for us, what it could never do, that we can never do ourselves. The will of God is to do in us what we could never do for ourselves. 
We wake up every morning looking for the good life. We all do. We wake up wanting the good life. We often think the good life flows from accomplishing the, the plans that we have made for ourselves. We wake up every morning wondering if the good life will come to us today through comfort and possessions and accomplishments and health and friendships and worried and afraid and, and that it's possible we will miss out on the good life that we are created to live. Our family, our purposes, our desires, our character, our plans will fail us, but God does not fail us. We can invest in healthy marriages and they will experience struggle and difficulty. We can fill our house with air purifiers and essential oils and we will get sick. <laughs> it's true. We will drive the speed limit and obey traffic laws and we'll still get in accidents. We'll spend years building an impressive resume and we can lose it all in a moment. We can budget well and save carefully and we can still fall into financial crisis. We can do all the good things that we could possibly do and we could still be miles and miles away from God. The concept of the will is strongly related to here to the concept of desire. Desire for God. And John is telling us no one is saved by merely wanting to be with God. No one is saved by just because they want to be saved. Our feelings about God do not save us. We're saved because Jesus' desire to give us life prevailed. We are saved because his desire is stronger than ours. Jesus is willing to suffer so that you and I could hear this truth. We are not saved by blood. It doesn't matter what family you were born into. That is not what saves us. But we're saved by the blood of Christ that was shed for us. We are not saved by our flesh, here he says. Meaning, we're not saved by the character or strength of our will, but the flesh of Christ that was nailed on the cross. We are not saved by our will or our desire or our desire just to want it really bad, but we're saved by the will of God that never failed or gave up. What's our, what is our role in all of this? And that's pretty clear as well. How do we participate in this plan of salvation for us? We receive the light and believe in him. That is our role in this. That is, that is the invitation to receive. And when the light comes into the, our lives, when the word of God is revealed, when, when God reveals himself to us through his word, we do not shy away from it. We do not recoil. We do not rebel. We trust. We receive. To receive him is to believe in him. We believe in the truth of who he is and what he came to do for us. And we grasp onto him as he has grasped onto us. This is the, this is the story of Advent. This is the, the waiting and longing for this light to come into the world. And the tragic thing that happened is when it came, he was rejected. And he died on the cross for us. But as people looked forward to this coming, we now get to look back. We get to look back on what God has done. We get to look back on the history of his, of his faithfulness, of his steadfast commitment to go to every length possible to rescue us from darkness. And our role in this is not to put our best foot forward or to be the best person we could be, but to receive him, to trust in him, and to rest finally in him. Rest in him, friends. 
Trust in Jesus. His love will never end. Thanks for listening to this audio from Holy Cross Church. Visit us at holycrosstucson.com to find more resources and connect with us.